0: Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, Doing a rare back-to-back recording session today. On the uh, last episode, we talked to Corey Diaz previewing Louisiana Tech's 2019 season. Today, we're doing the same thing with the UTSA Roadrunners being joined by a uh, a face or a voice or whatever you want to call it that uh hopefully all underdog dynasty followers are familiar with. It's Mr. Jared Kalmas, the uh editor of UDD slash UTSA beat writer. And uh what else you wanna say? Cybersecurity dude, uh chili expert. Uh what do, what do people know you as and where can they find you,
1: Jared? Oh jeez, I don't know. I, I wear a lot of hats, we'll say that. Um, But I guess primarily on Twitter, I'm at Jared UTSA. Uh, Of course, follow at Underdog Dynasty. Uh, The tweets are typically Cyrus, but I have my fair share of tweets as well, especially like when games are on TV and stuff. Um, So I'm kind of behind the curtains there. Um, I also have a UTSA-specific podcast called Alamo Dome Audible. So you can follow at Alamo Audible on Twitter um, to follow my podcast there uh, if you're interested in hearing more about UTSA every week. We're about to hit the ground running with all of our season coverage. So um, it's a good tune-up here to uh, get into podcast shape. I'm already impressed with your stamina to go back-to-back on two podcasts because I know how hard that is. So you guys are already, like, in shape for the season.
0: Yeah, you can't see it, but I have an IV of Red Bull just hooked up. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And, and of course, joined by uh, my usual podcasting buddy, Eric. It's been about 10 minutes since we talked, but (laughs) – How you been? It feels like a week based on when these are gonna upload.
2: Man, I'm I'm hanging in there, man. You know, like you said, you've got the idea, of Red Bull. You know, I'm chugging Gatorade, man. This is it's a tough gig going back to back here, just you know, yapping away about Conference USA football. People understand. It's a, this whole it's all talking things pretty hard, man. So you know, pray for us. But well, whatever you do, just think about us, man, because uh, we might be struggling towards the end here. I know I'm I'm already out of breath with this uh, with this uh, diatribe as is. <laughs>
1: Look, the, the labor efforts of podcast producers must be recognized.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Shout out to uh, Taylor Bauer as well, Doing, uh, going to be doing a lot of editing at once with the amount of the file size that we're sending in. He's going to look at this and be like, why is this like a, a whole gig of audio? What were they talking about? <laughs> you know, and then most of it's just stuff about like food and cybersecurity. <laughs> Um, before we get too off track with that, we'll, we'll just go ahead and dive into the chatting about, uh, the UTSA roadrunners. So Jared, uh, been a, been a rough couple of years for, uh, UTSA to say the least, uh, offensively, especially what in your opinion mm-hmm. was the biggest issue last season and how can they correct it in 2019?
1: Oh, gosh, where to start? I mean, whenever you look at the offense, they're like bottom three in pretty much every offensive category. There's not one thing you can really pin that on, you know, whether it's coaching, quarterback play, offensive line. Um, I mean, UTSA didn't have a single position on offense that was average or better, right? Um, If I had to pick one thing, though, I would say it was like the constant shuffling of the quarterbacks. Um, you know, they kind of got handed a a rough deal. Um, You know, true freshman Frank Harris came in and pretty much won the starting job in the fall. Um, And then he, you know, tore an ACL going into, I I guess, what would have been like game week preparation. Um, So just right off the bat, the offense was, you know, playing behind the eight ball there. Um, And I think from there, it was just a trickle effect. And Just got out of control really fast. It got to the point where uh, fans were sarcastically cheering for any points that were scored because it was such a a dire effort on the offensive side of the ball.
0: (laughs) Right, right. So as a whole, how big of a step do you think that the Roadrunners will take this year as a team?
1: Mm, Man, I don't know, honestly. Like, I really, really go back and forth. Um, the schedule's pretty tough. You got Baylor, Army, North Texas, all back-to-back-to-back back to back to back there, um, right in the middle of what would be the start of the season. So I, I think they're going to take their lumps there for sure. Um, but overall, I do think the team is at least going to be more competitive than they were last year. I don't know if that's going to translate into the wins and losses column. Um, but I do like you know some of the changes that Frank Wilson has made. Uh, they claim that they're going to more of a of an open spread offense, you know, a little bit higher tempo. Um, I think that's going to help the offense tremendously. You know, the the defense might take a slight step back. Um, of course, they lost Josiah Taliaffa to the draft. Um, the other starting line, linebacker, Les Morrow, is gone as well, Um, as well as some, some solid uh, safeties and defense, other defensive backs. But um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, right now my gut is telling me somewhere between four and five wins. But I don't think any of these are going to be, like, really impressive wins. Like, I don't think they're going to go and, like, uh, beat North Texas on the road and then, and, and you know, kind of, shake up Conference USA West or anything like that. But I think we'll see some of uh, Frank Wilson's recruiting really start to pay off because anyone that follows the conference knows that Frank Wilson's a great recruiter. Um, He's kind of nationally known for his prowess on the recruiting trail. Uh, But if you think about it, he hasn't really been at UTSA long enough for his guys to really get factored into the equation, right? So finally, some of the upperclassmen are actually Frank Wilson recruits. Um, So I think that's going to show on the field. I think there's going to be some higher athleticism. Um, but again, I'm not holding my breath for uh, bowl eligibility by any means.
0: Sure. And uh, you mentioned Frank Wilson. I think each of the last couple seasons, he's kind of at least been included in the whole hot seat conversation. Uh, what's your mm-hmm. kind of opinion on that? Because you just mentioned that uh, a lot of the guys that he recruited aren't going to be, or rather haven't been really a big part of the team until probably this season. So what's kind of your opinion on the the status of Frank Wilson's job?
1: Yeah, you know, I guess it would, I would say it's a it's a warm seat at this point. I don't think that uh, – unless he loses GenCorn at Word in week one, I don't think that he's going to get fired, like, before the season ends. Um, it would have to be a really, really disastrous season. Um, but there's definitely pressure there, right? The new athletic director, Lisa Campos, did, did not hire Frank. It was a Lynn Hickey hire, the previous AD. Um, so you always have to take that into consideration. Like, there's probably not as much loyalty um, from Dr. Campos to Coach Wilson. Um, And and Dr. Campos did put out like the dreaded, um, what do they call it, the uh, letter of support or uh, affirmation or whatever, you know, anytime the athletic director sends a letter out to boosters and it's like we fully back this coach, you know, we believe in him, we're getting on track, whatever, like really if you read between the lines, it's like telling the boosters we're going to fire him if he doesn't make a bowl game, right, so we see it. Over and over and over, <laughs> so many different programs where they, uh, they, they comes out and says, Oh, yes, we support the head coach. And then, like, three weeks later, they're gone. Um, so that did happen at the end of last season. So I think that there's some pressure there. Um, you know, obviously, UTSA can't sit and, you know, have one of the worst offenses in the country week in a week out. You know, that's not going to sell tickets. Um, that's not going to keep the program sustainable. So there's definitely pressure. Um, but I don't think it's as dire as uh, some of the other coaches that are on the hot seats up there.
0: Sure. I think that's fair to say. Um, moving into uh, a little bit of a deeper dive on the roster here, looking at uh, the all conference uh, preseason team that got put out a couple of weeks ago, uh, UTSA kick returner, Brent Winnigan and offensive lineman Josh Dunlop were the only two UTSA picks in that group. Does that seem right mm-hmm. to you? And uh, second part of that question, what can we expect out of those two guys this season?
1: Sure. I guess first off, that seemed about right to me. Like I, I know it sounds crazy to say because UTSA only won three games last year, but in all honesty, it is a pretty talented roster. I mean, top to bottom, it's definitely the deepest, most complete roster that UTSA's ever had. Um, Just not a lot of experience to go around it at really key positions. So I thought it was about right. I mean, there's probably a couple of other guys who could maybe sneak in, but then if you look at who was selected over them, it's like, "Ah, okay, that makes sense. Um, But as far as those specific nominees go, uh, Brett Winnigan's kind of interesting because he didn't really play much last year. Um, He was a guy that was recruited as a running back. Very, very explosive player at a high school level, just uh, kind of one step and he's gone. You know, he's a a track star. He also runs track at UTSA. Um, I think he competes in like the long jump and the triple jump as well. So he's for sure a freak athlete, just um you know, he was kind of stuck behind a lot of good running backs last year and then uh he had a wrist injury early in the season, so that kind of set him out. But he's actually moving to wide receiver this season. And I think that's a better fit for him. I think UTSA is gonna get a lot of use out of him in like, you know, jet sweep plays like that, maybe just duff it out to him in the slot and uh let him make a cut and get up the field if he can. So, you know, it's a the win against last run as a senior, um, you know, there's been a long-running meme in the UTSA community that uh, anytime there's like a message board thread or, or whatever, someone's like, oh, Brett Winnigan's taking a, a kickoff to the to the house, baby. He's getting six points this week. Uh, and every single week people say that, and it's never happened, uh, with the exception of the one time he took it back for a touchdown against Arizona, and then got called back for a flag. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, put – Put it on uh, my name, and I'm going to put you know my hat on the table and say Brett Winnigan will return to kickoff for a touchdown this year. <laughs> After three years of close goals, he's finally going to do it. Um, so I think he'll have a, a decent season, but probably not like a future point of the offense or anything like that. As far as Josh Stomlop is concerned, um, really, really good offensive tackle. He's probably the first guy that UTSA has ever, ever recruited that looks like an offensive tackle, right? So he's got like, the really strong like linky arms, uh, can really set the edge, you know, really good form in his pass block set. Um, not a, a terrific run blocker, but, you know, good enough to get the job done. And I think that he's going to have a great season. Um, I think he's a guy that might get some looks at like an NFL camp, you know, at least from practice squad or something like that. Um, and it's probably the safest bet on this UTSA offensive line is uh, a guy they can look to for, for 12 games to get quality production from.
0: Nice. Uh, I know I've kind of made the joke that uh, this podcast is going to be, you know, a lot of non-football talk. But shifting gears for one second, your Twitter on weekends in the fall seems to say that UTSA has a fantastic tailgating scene. Is that fair to say? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, no doubt. And, you know, even when the team is doing miserable, like if they haven't scored a touchdown in two weeks, it's still going to be an absolute rager in the tailgate lots. Um, I've been to a lot of G5 campuses. I've been to every school in Commerce USA West, a couple in the East, a couple of Sunbelt schools, and I have yet to see a G5 tailgate scene that can uh, compare to what UTSA has. So I definitely recommend you guys making a trip out. Let me know when you're coming. Uh, we'll get the fireball bag ready to go, and uh, we'll have a great time.
0: Did you say fireball bag? I, you know, I'm, I'm I have to ask a follow up question now, right? Like,
1: yeah, what, okay, what? so, so you know, like bagged wine, like Francia wine, and you like slap the bag, you know? You yeah. say fans do that with Fireball. <laughs> it's a cinnamon whiskey getting slapped into your mouth out of a nasty bag that you like buy off the shelf at Sam's Club.
0: <laughs> that is incredible, and uh, you know.
1: I feel like I have. Look, I never never said we're classy. I just said we're fun.
0: (laughs) That's exactly how I would describe that. So, yeah, definitely need to make the trip now. Uh, Eric, we're hooking up there.
2: (laughs) Um, You know what? My mind is blown for two reasons. One, the the idea of just chugging Fireball at that rate just kind of astounded me. But also, you know, I've got to come back to a point that Mr. Thomas made, which was, that he has not been to a G5 tailgate that can compare. I just want to make sure I'm I'm not I didn't mishear that. That's correct, right?
1: Yeah. Um, the only one that I say that is is comparable was uh, Southern Miss had a, a really solid tailgating scene, um, but I would say it was more family friendly at Southern Miss. It seemed like more of a family activity. Uh, a lot of multi-generation tailgate groups, which is very cool. Um, but UTSA is it's a lot younger alumni base, so. Um definitely a lot more boozy of a tailgate at UTSA.
2: So this begs my follow-up. You have not been to the University of Central Florida, correct? No. Okay. Alright. Yeah. Just I I just want to just make sure there. Um I, I will go ahead and stand up for my alma mater and say, while I have not been to uh, UTSA's campus or the Alamo Dumont on game day, which we're going to get to in a second based on my uh, my stadium rankings, which I will bring up with Jared. Um, I, I would counter and say that I have not been to very many uh, G5 tailgates that can rival a UCF. So I, I'm looking forward to making the trip to San Antonio it was supposed to last year, but uh, things kind of went awry and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and put them all to the test and see uh, firsthand.
1: Yeah, man, come on down. We'll get you some brisket. Uh, we do a lot of like nacho bars at tailgates, stuff like that. I've even seen someone do a paella, uh, which if you don't know, it's like rice and mussels and chicken breast and all kinds of great stuff all mixed together. So uh, the food's top notch, man. It's it's a great party. Uh, a lot of live bands will be out there, live DJs. Uh, everyone's super welcoming. I mean, people just passing out cups of drink and, and trays of food all around. So it's a, it's a fantastic time.
2: Yeah, Joe, we might have to uh to plan this together, man, to make our way down to San Antonio. Um uh, gonna gonna start off here with the um aforementioned uh <laughs> stadium rankings. I, I, I know I had the Alamo Dome ranked seventh and uh I I caught, you know, I mean as as expected. Uh if you don't have uh, a team ranked uh, at a certain spot, you're gonna catch a little flack. But um definitely pull cool some flack from uh, the uh U T S A crowd. So um, yeah, I just just want to get the, the um, perspective from you, both, Dan, Jared. Why was seven too low? And uh, sell me on the uh, the Alamo Dome and the um, surrounding environment.
1: Well, I think if you're looking for the stadium itself, I think UTSA has to be number one. I mean, it hosted the Final Four just two years ago. Um, it hosts the Alamo Bowl, which is not quite a New Year's Six bowl, but it's really close. It's about as close as you can get. Um, so obviously, you know, a lot of people see it, the value in the Alamo Dome. Um, as far as the environment goes, like, yeah, it can be a little bit lacking for the smaller games just because it's such a large stadium and it's indoor, so it can feel like a little cavernous when the attendance is, say, like 25K or something like that. Uh, but, man, I mean, even with a crowd that small, it gets so loud. Um, you know, there's so many false start penalties from by opponents in the Alamo Dome. It's uh, it's crazy. Uh, you know, the food and drink options are not premier, but they're more thorough than what I see for most G5 stadiums. Um, you know, it's just a very like professional feeling environment and a uh, game day atmosphere for me. Um, like I said, the tailgating is top notch. Um, I personally haven't seen anything in the D5 level that eclipses it. So that's got to factor in, um, the proximity to downtown San Antonio is phenomenal. I mean, you can stay on the river walk and walk to the game and back. Um, and now they have got the electric scooter, so you can scoot, uh, to the Alma Dome and back. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. I definitely thought seven was too low. I was pretty shocked when I, uh, when I read your rankings, to be honest. Um, from what I what I've seen outside of like salty UNT fans that just want to pick a fight, like everyone that I know that's come to the Alamo Dome has put it at the top of their ranking. So um, hopefully you guys can see it in person and maybe uh, bump it up a few spots.
2: No, and, and like I you know I said when when the article uh, when I wrote it at the time, I I, I, I want to make the point that like I mean the Alamo Dome, you kind of talked about it, Jared. Uh, it, it was. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It was built with the purpose, with the the intent of enticing a potential NFL team. So, I mean, the, the stadium itself is, is up to par. Um, you know, they, I know they, they made renovations when the Spurs left to kind of give it a, a somewhat of a college ball field. But I guess the reason why I, I had it kind of in that mid grade was because of the fact that it is so cavernous. Now you make the point, And I actually do want to say that I heard that as well. When I watched the FIU UTSA game on TV from last year, um, it didn't look like it may have been more than I'd say a third of the way full if that but it did come across very loud on television um, yeah. but that was part of the reason why I had it in that mid uh, range was because of the fact that uh, I mean you have to assume that it it would be cavernous and in reading other people's reviews they kind of say that as well and then they also said and once again this is something that you can neither uh, you can confirm or deny um, some people said that the, the surrounding area of the Alamo Dome wasn't exactly the best and I don't I don't necessarily want to say that they were implying that it was um, unsafe, but I think they just kind of said that it just wasn't – it it wasn't festive as, you know, maybe if you go to um, a a bigger college's campus and you have an on-campus stadium where there's more going on around the surrounding area. So that kind of played a part as well.
1: Mm, Yeah, I would say it's a mix. You know, the actual neighborhood that the Dome is in is quickly being gentrified. Um, so it definitely doesn't have like a great reputation, but it's also not like a slum or a ghetto or anything like that. Um, but I would say like if you stay just like within the parking lots, like where the actual tailgating's at, it's it's really top notch. Um, there's a couple of bars within walking distance and stuff. So um, I would say that was probably more true like three to five years ago than it is now. Um, another recent addition is they added like curtains along the top level, so they're they're not really selling tickets to the upper level for games anymore um they're kind of forcing everyone closer into the lower bowl uh so that's kind of helping get around the, the kind of cavernous feel of how big that upper level is that uh really utsa is not you know packing the stands for for sixty thousand people obviously so i think getting that curtain up there has helped a lot um not only like for the in-game uh atmosphere so to speak fans are sitting closer together but also on tv i think it looks a lot better too
2: Sure. And like I said, definitely look forward to crossing up the album' off my list. I've been to six USA facilities outside of FIU. So.
0: Before we resume our Conference USA football discussion, we're going to take some time to tell you a little bit more about our sponsors and shout out some of the other great podcasts on the SB Nation Network. Be right back.
2: Now to kind of bring it on the field, uh, you know, Joe kind of talked about in his line of questioning about the you know, kind of the outlook for this season and, and Frank Wilson and, and what his status may be. Um, and you talked about Frank Harris as well. I just want to talk about some of the younger talent that I, I uh, kind of noticed, especially in the FIU game, but just in general, they have coming back uh, guys like Brendan Brady and Tykey Ogle Kellogg specifically. Um, mm-hmm. And also uh, Carter McCarthy, a uh, tight end. Can you just talk about that? It seems like there's, there's a budding young nucleus. And I mean, it goes to uh, Frank Wilson's ability and his reputation as a recruiter. Can you just talk about just that young talent and, and what's there, you know, on the roster right now that, UTSA fans and conference USA fans should look forward to
1: being. Yeah, you know, it's like I was saying earlier, uh, really, Frank Wilson's recruits are just starting to get their foot in the door, so to speak, right? So you see guys like Brendan Brady, I mean, this guy could do a standing backflip when he was a freshman in high school. Like, UTSA has never recruited anyone that athletic before. Um, know, someone like Taiki Ogle Kellogg, he was a legitimate four star recruit. He had like 18 offers, and like five of those were from SEC schools. So, you know, the the talent level is just rapidly increasing. And these guys are starting to kind of put it all together, right? So the building blocks are, are absolutely there. Um so you mentioned Carter McCarthy, he's no longer with the program. He transferred out because he wasn't awarded a scholarship. Um but there's a lot of guys that that are younger um that are definitely like set to make a huge impact. Um, There are two incoming freshmen that actually joined the program for spring practice that are both from uh, San Antonio, specifically from Converse-Judson High School. Um, Sincere McCormick is a a running back that's like – I mean, the guy runs like he was shot out of a cannon. Just super, super twitchy, really hard to bring down. Um, I think he'll at least play four games, you know, and keep his red shirt. but I wouldn't be surprised if he plays more than that, to be honest with you guys. Um, And there's also a safety as well, Rashad Wisdom. Um, he's a guy who I, I think if he was six feet tall, he would probably have been a four-star recruit. Um, but he's a guy who played with a lot of, for like, really top talent, um, at Converse Judson, and you know, deep into the playoffs. And I don't think that he ever got outshadowed by anyone that no he, played he played with or against. So, so those guys have really, really high ceilings. I think they can be like leaders on both sides of the ball moving forward.
2: Really quick, I'm, I'm glad you made that point, and thanks for clarifying as far as Carter McCarthy transferring out. That's something I was. I curious but I'm I'm glad you brought up um, the two recruits and them coming from the Judson area. Um, I don't know if we have any Friday night Tikes fans among us, but I, you know, the only reason (laughs) I'm familiar with with that with that name is the uh, the the Judson junior Rockets from the show. But uh, my question, um, is that a, I mean, I only know it from the TV show. Is that a, like a, a local um, kind of powerhouse as far as football is concerned?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a few schools in San Antonio that are kind of like top dogs in the area as far as talent is concerned. But I would say Judson goes further back than a lot of those programs um it's a It's like a military community um on the northeast side of San antonio, so a lot of these kids are just born and bred on football like they're they're not afraid of authority and discipline like people you know from <laughs> most of the most of the generation is you know um they kind of grew up in hard homes where they were uh you know forced to abide by <laughs> rules and say yes ma'am, no ma'am kind of deal uh so you know the converse. Judson uh, tradition goes way back. I mean, when I was in high school, I remember just like hearing about them all the time. And, you know, they they kind of had this like aura to them, right? Like it, it meant a lot more than just football to them. Like it was definitely a community. Um, and I mean, so many guys out of that area go D1 every single year, every single year. And all those guys come back to San Antonio. They all support each other. Like it's definitely like a very uh, family focused environment. Um, so anytime UTSA gets a a commit from a converse school, I'm, I'm super pumped and I know that they're going to be a good one. Are you telling me that Texas takes high school football seriously? Believe it or not, man. (laughs) I know, I know you might've heard stories that say otherwise, but yeah, it's, it's life or death out here.
0: I I, I thought it was a big chess state, but I guess I was wrong.
1: (laughs) No.
2: You know, Joe, I'm I'm glad you said that because when I was down in Dallas, uh, I stayed over, uh, right outside of uh, Frisco, I think it's the area called The Colony. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, asked, I asked my Uber driver, uh, I was like, because uh, I happened to see the the high school in the field, I was like, you know, are, are they a powerhouse program? He's like, nah, they're all right. And <laughs> yeah. coming from Florida, there are no teams that are just all right that have uh, beautifully manicured turf fields and facilities like that that I saw for The Colony. So, yeah, they, they, they have to take football it's a little seriously in Texas.
1: Yeah. I think there's like 30 different high schools in the Dallas area that have an indoor practice facility. And I mean, probably only like half of conference USA has one.
2: Yeah. I mean, and and that's um, one of the things that I saw as well. I just was like, you know, I couldn't imagine uh, if, if, you know, kids down in in Miami and the South Florida area could have that, those kind of facilities. I mean, Hey, you know, more power to Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm I'm all for it. You know, if you can afford it, you'll knock yourself out. And uh, speaking of facilities, um, you mentioned the, the new AD, Lisa Campos, and, and I, I just wanted to ask you, what essentially is the state of UTSA's uh, facilities not outside of the Alamo Dome?
1: Yeah. R- right now, currently, I would say between disastrous and unacceptable, right? Um, honestly, like, their facilities are not up to par for Conference USA anywhere outside the Alamo Dome. Um, it's, it's really, really bad. I've heard stories of locker rooms not having hot water, of different teams having to share locker rooms. I mean, uh, nasty workout equipment that was rusting. Yeah, It's just bad. It's really bad. Um, So I would say there hasn't been much progress on the facility front for like the past decade, to be honest with you guys. Um, Some like minor additions to like the baseball and softball fields for like dressing rooms and stuff like that. But uh, really hasn't been much action there at all. Uh, once Lisa Campos came in, I mean, within her first year, like there was like a for sure proposal, there was fundraising going on. Um, it sounds like this fall, UTSA is going to break ground on what we're calling the race, which is the Roadrunner Athletics Center for Excellence. And uh, it's really going to be a top tier facility. It's going to support all sports. Uh, it's going to have uh, a mixed indoor-outdoor practice facility for football similar to how UAB has, where it's got like the overhanging roof, but it's not fully enclosed um, on all sides. You know, modern nutrition program, upgraded weight rooms, like really the whole nine yards. And, you know, it's nice, it's impressive, but it's something that should have been there years ago. Um, It's just going to get UTSA up to par, I would say. Um, And then from there, there's going to be a big effort to, you know, get the baseball stadium fixed up. I don't know if you guys have heard any stories about UTSA's baseball facility, but uh, it's it's essentially a high school field, maybe worse. Um, They don't even like host high school playoff games because there are better high school stadiums to play at for baseball than what UTSA has. So yeah, it's going to be like a 30 year long process to get UTSA to where they need to be on the facilities front. But at least finally for the first time in like a decade, we have something to point to that shows progress in a positive direction.
2: Yeah, you know, Joe and I just wrapped up the facilities episode, and it's something that I, I did mention. Um, I'm glad you were able to provide some more clarity to it, but I, I mentioned that I, I uh, want to make sure I, I believe I had it correctly that Lisa Campos had uh, something uh, planned, like you mentioned, in the next uh, five to seven years as far as something like $60 million in renovations. Does that sound about cool?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it might be, even be more than that now with the, the race getting set up.
2: Gotcha. Um, once again, to you know, kind of bring it back onto the field. Um replying uh, Josiah. I uh, replying. Replacing Josiah <laughs> um, not not replying to him, uh replacing him on the field. Uh it, it's always gonna be a can't be a one man effort. Um two part question. One, who were the guys who are gonna step up and two, um, how big of a surprise was it that, you know, he ended up uh not getting getting drafted?
1: I'll start with part two, I guess. Uh personally I thought that he would get taken between like the third and fifth round. Um, I thought that was a safe bet. I'd seen people say as high as first or second. So, you know, you really see all across the board. Um, But I wasn't, like, totally shocked to see him not get drafted because it it wasn't really reported on that much. But his senior season, like, was kind of underwhelming, right? It's not that he was bad. He just didn't look as great as he did in his freshman year. And uh, the first half of his uh, sophomore year before he got hurt, right? Definitely still showed his flashes where he was a great linebacker, but um, I think that was enough to give teams, you know, some pause. Also, he's he's not the quickest guy, so I I think uh, his 40 time and his his shuttle probably uh, scared some teams off, so to speak. But, I mean, if you look at the undrafted free agent deal that he signed with the Giants, like he's one of the highest paid free agents. So it might have worked out better for him to land in a spot that, you know, has a need of the position. Um, They're going to give him some guaranteed money. Versus, you know, just getting the last pick of the draft and being Mr. Irrelevant and getting stuck on a team that, you know, has a bunch of linebackers in front of him and probably not a secure roster spot. So, I think it's going to work out pretty well for him. Uh, we'll see how he, how he ends up doing. Um, but yeah, then and to segue into your first question, it's, it's a huge gap, right? Um, the U T C only had two linebackers last year, both of them graduated. So the backups last year were. Not uh, not super comforting, I guess, in, in their play. You, you know, you saw guys like Kyler Mianke, who was a former receiver that walked on at UTSA and got converted to linebacker, and he ended up having to play like 15, 20 snaps per game. You know, it's, not, it's really a, a rough position to be in, and it's kind of unfair to grade him off of that. But, um, you know, and then the freshmen were out there too, and it's just such a big jump to go from playing like, mid-tier Louisiana high school football to like playing conference USA or against power five competition. So um, don't want to judge the guys who played last year too harshly, but definitely not like a, a great sense of comfort going into the season at linebacker. I would definitely say it's my most concerning position on the roster. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I, I, you just brought in some guys that I think can play. Um, they also moved. Andy Martell from safety to linebacker, which I think is a much more natural fit for him. He's a six foot one, two hundred fifteen pound guy that hits uh, really, really hard for safety. So I think moving him down to the box is the right call. Um, unfortunately, he's a senior, so if he looks great, he's gonna, you know, be out the year after that. Um, but there's a couple of guys that came in. Um, there's a transfer linebacker from Virginia, Dominic Shepard, a uh, really big body, six foot three, two thirty five, but just. Totally injury played career, Virginia. So there's no telling what UTSA is going to get out of him, if at all. Um, wouldn't hold your breath on that one, just you know, due to his history with injuries. But two guys that I'm excited for. Uh, first is Trevor Harmonson. He's a JUCO transfer from Blinn, which is one of the strongest um, JUCO programs here in Texas. He's actually coming in as a sophomore, so he'll have three years to play. Uh, he's six foot three, two fifteen, and shows a lot of range on his film, like sideline to sideline for sure. Uh, and I, I would say his wingspan is probably the wingspan of like a six-foot-six player. Like he's got really, really, really long arms, uh, swats down a lot of passes. So if he can get the physicality down and if he can shed blocks and uh, take on blockers and all that good stuff, I think that he'll probably either be a starter or see very serious playing time. Uh, there's also another transfer from LSU that came in, Layton Garnett. Uh, he's another big dude as well, six-foot-four, 245. And uh, got pretty pretty good reviews from LSU fans. I don't think he played a lot there, but I guess he's a guy who looked good in like the spring game and all that stuff. So um, a, a drop in competition level could do him a lot of good. I think that'll be an inter- interesting one to watch.
2: Yeah, I mean you mentioned it with uh, you know the level of production that Toafa had. I mean talking about um, excuse me, 111 tackles. I don't know why that word was uh, that number was hard to get out there. 111 tackles mm-hmm. and four and a half. Uh, sacks. I mean, that's that's a huge part of your defense that, you know, you're, you're losing. I want to ask about two guys who are coming back on defense who might be able to uh, make an impact, one of them being Lorenzo Dantzler and the other guy who I had in my top 50 players in Conference USA and Cassius Grady. Uh, just talk about those guys for a second.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so Lorenzo Dandler, I'm super, super high on. Like from the first time I saw his highlight film, I like kind of feeling he was going to be a special player. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but he originally signed with Southern Miss. I think he was there for like one semester before he transferred to Juco. Uh, but he's a guy who is just really strong, like really smart football player. Um, you can see him assuming a leadership role on this defense, like throughout the summer. Um, and he's only a junior too. So to get two more years out of him is going to be great. I don't know how high his ceiling is. Like, I don't know if he could be like an NFL draft pick. You know, someone like compared to like a Jalen Ferguson or a Marcus Davenport. I, I don't know if he's quite that good, but I think he does have the tools to be a very consistent, um, at least an honorable mention All Conference type of defensive end. Um, really not gonna be surprised if he, you know, becomes like one of the premier players in the defense this year. I, I think that would make a lot of sense. Um as far as Cassius Grady goes, definitely a good player. I was a little bit surprised you had him on the top fifty and not that he's undeserving of it. Um it's just UTSA has had a total revolving door, the cornerback position, so Grady hasn't really like got the shine that he probably deserved so far. Um but yeah, he's a good player, man. Uh came in from Trinity Valley Juco, bit of a ball hawk, you know, good sound tackler. Um, you know, started nine games last year, so yeah, he's a tough player for sure. Um, I don't see him like going to the next level or anything like that, but he definitely like has the potential to be, you know, an every game starter for UTSA. Um, it's just like the depth behind him is such a big concern that I feel like he's probably gonna have to be on the field for like very long stretches of time and uh, probably end up getting gassed and letting a few pass them. But uh, hopefully, some of the JUCO transfers that UTSA is bringing in the defensive back can, you know, give him a breather every once in a while, so he's not having to run like, you know, 40 yards down the field every three plays.
2: Yeah, I mean, not that uh, it, it's a matter of a sentimental value, but Grady, you know, is a great story. For those who don't know, you're talking about someone who was away from football for a couple of years, just working, you know, everyday jobs and decided to give it one last mm-hmm. run and paid off for it well. UTSA. Uh, just to finish up here, last thing we got with uh, our UDD site editor, our assistant site editor, uh, Jared Thomas. Um, this series with Texas, um, I like the series, but I think I was a little difficult on them uh, because they, if my member serves me correct, got five games all at Texas and if they couldn't yeah. get one game at the Alamo Dome and maybe that's the, um, I don't know if that's the UCF night in me. Uh, not that I think that, you know, they should be able to uh, go uh, uh, get a one for one per se, but I guess you would think just my, my overall position was that uh, the state of Texas is huge on football. I'm sure there's a, uh, Texas alumni base in San Antonio. Uh, I just felt like, you know, for the overall fan base to get one in the Alamo Dome would be cool. Um, Just talk about that series a bit and then maybe correct me where I might be erroring as far as them not getting a game back in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome.
1: Well, I guess the thing is you got to keep in mind that if UT plays against UTSA in the Alamo Dome, it's probably going to be like 70% UT fans. And I don't know if that's like a great atmosphere to like present to like your recruits and on television and stuff. Uh, frankly, I would probably find it a little embarrassing, right? I don't think we'll ever see UT or A&M play against UTSA in the Alma Dome. I think Texas Tech could happen. Baylor's already happened. Um, so it's not that far-fetched to get a P5 in the Alma Dome. Like, UTSA's done a great job of scheduling those two-for-ones. Uh, but UT and A&M are just at a totally different level. I mean, they're pulling in 100,000 people at every home game, right? Like, uh, UTSA can't even accommodate that. So, I don't think that'll ever happen. Um, from the UTSA standpoint, I think it makes more sense to get a one and a half million, two million dollar guarantee to play that real game and to fund your program um, than it would be to, you know, uh, get no money and just the ticket sales and get absolutely stomped and have people make fun of you, saying it's a home game for UT and stuff. So. Um, initially I was in the same boat as you, Eric, but the more I thought about it, the more that I talked to with other UTSA fans about it, I'm like, yeah, be careful what you wish for. You know, um, I know UCF probably wouldn't have that problem because they're a much more established program, but, uh, for UTSA, I think a lot of like kids in the student section would be wearing QT shirts and stuff like that. So, um, I don't think UTSA is at that phase of the program where they could accommodate a home game like that.
2: Yeah, and and you know, you make a good point there. As far as you don't necessarily, it's not the the best optics to walk into your home stadium and it's seventy percent, you know, burnt orange. So that's a great point there. Yeah. it off. Passes off. to go and finish this one up. You know, I, I know we're uh, we're all a little exhausted here, going back to back on podcast, but we made it, man. We're here. We're still live.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, making sure I have an ambulance on speed dial for the amount of coffee, <laughs> coffee today. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> that's that's where we're at in uh in this workday. But uh just want to say thank you to Jared Kalmas for coming on the show and sharing his insight on uh all things UTSA football and the overall atmosphere over at the home of the Roadrunners right now. Uh again you can follow him on uh on Twitter uh at uh Jared why don't you just remind people where they can find all yeah
1: your... sure 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 yeah uh so my personal Twitter account is at Jared UTSA so you can follow me there um, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I do a UTSA podcast with another one of our underdog dynasty writers, Adrian Bermudez. Uh, that one's called Alamo Dome Audible. We're on all the places that podcasts live online, and you can follow that account um, on Twitter at Alamo Audible almost um, said Dome, but it's just Alamo Audible because I ran out of characters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it uh, definitely happens coming from someone with a really long last name. Um, so with that, we'll say once again, thank you so much. Uh, thanks to Eric Henry for being a boss as he always is. And uh, thanks for all of you who are listening and helping the show grow each and every week. Uh, If you want to help the show grow even more, make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, Google play, wherever you get your, your podcast fix and uh, leave a review that that really helps us grow as well. And of course, follow at underdog dynasty on Twitter, follow me on Twitter at J O E H I O underscore follow Eric on Twitter at Eric C Henry underscore and uh, like underdog dynasty on Facebook as well. If you're even still on there, I know I'm not. But anyway, uh, check out underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football goodness. And uh, we'll see you in the next one coming real soon. Hopefully going to knock out a few more of these team previews before the season starts in just a few short weeks. Happy football watching, everybody. Stay safe. Books. Oh, all right.
2: Bye, Jared. (laughs) Jared's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm out of here. I've given him enough of my time.
1: (laughs) I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>